Well, two Sundays ago, we started a new sermon series, just a, a kind of a mini-series, and I mentioned that there are three areas that you and I need to get right in our lives in order for the blessings of God to overtake us. Our, our text uh, two weeks ago today, the next time I preach on this, will be Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, if you brought your Bibles. Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, uh, says, And all these blessings shall come upon you, and overtake you. How many, how many really want the blessings of God not just to come on you, but to overtake you? Amen? If, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then we're also looking at Exodus 34, verse 10. The Lord says, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Once again, not only do we want the blessing of God to overtake us, we want to see God move in such a way that others will say, man, what an awesome God you serve. And that hopefully that'll put a hunger in their heart as well as to know the God that we serve. Now, there are three areas, as I mentioned, we need to get right. We, first of all, two weeks ago talked about the area of obedience. If you obey, so obedience being important, the obedience aspect of that, uh, Exodus 34, verse 10, yeah, the people that live among you will see how awesome the work that I, the Lord, will do, uh, uh, will do for you. But in the very next verse, Exodus 34, verse 11 says, obey or observe what I command you today. And so obedience being so important, we see how God over and over throughout his word tells us how he blesses obedience. Always keep in mind, God always blesses obedience. Obedience simply means doing what God has asked you to do without reservation or hesitation. In other words, if we're going to experience the blessing of God, the power, the glory, the presence of God, then we need to learn to obey God and His Word. And by the way, uh, our opinions don't matter. When it comes to obedience and obeying God and His Word, our opinions have, have nothing to do with that. Charles Finney describes revival as simply a new beginning of obedience to God. Jesus himself clearly stated that obedience, uh, obedience that a person, you know, when a person obeys, it indicates his or her relationship with God. Three times, John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. He who has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And then, verse, uh, that was verse 15, 21, and John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, Jesus says, he will obey my teaching. And so really, obedience is a heart test. Do I trust God? Can I trust God? Do I love God enough to obey Him and His Word? Bottom line is, if we have an obedience problem, we have a love problem, because by obedience, a person indicates his or her love for God. If you do not obey Him, it also indicates you do not know Him. John said in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we know that we have come to know him if we obey what he commands. The man who says, well, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in him. 
But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And then 1 John 5, 3 says, and this is love for God to obey his commands. But then John adds this little sentence on the end of verse 3, and his commands are not burdensome. God's commands are not burdensome. Friends, God has given us his commands, as we talked about two weeks ago, as a means for freedom for us, as a means of protection in our obeying him. We also established two weeks ago that, as I mentioned, obedience brings blessing. So the first area we have to get right, if we want to see the blessings of God overtake us, if we want others to say, man, you, you guys, your, your God is an awesome God, we have to learn to obey God. The second area we're going to talk about today, and it's not preached much today in the church, but it is the, is the topic of holiness. We need to be holy unto the Lord. Exodus 34, going back there, we read verses 10 and 11, but it picks up in verse 12. Be careful, Exodus 34, 12, be careful not to make a treaty or take heed to thyself with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. And then verse 13, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their asherah poles. Verse 14, do not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Also keep in mind that the God that we serve is a jealous lover. Exodus 34, then going on, verse 15, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. The King James Bible says, And their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. So what is it saying there in Exodus 34? Don't compromise with the world. Be careful, church, not to compromise with the world. Be set apart unto God. Even God reminded Moses that the people of Israel were to be different from the people living in the land of Canaan. What is it called? It's called holiness unto the Lord. Holiness is found in both the Old and New Testament, starting with the Old. Leviticus 20, verse 26, You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations, God says, to be my own. And so God says, you are to be holy. Then Leviticus chapter 11, 44 and 45. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. For I, the Lord, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because God says, I am holy. And so God is calling those that claim to be his followers, God is calling them, calling us to holiness. Leviticus 20, verse 7, Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. I am the Lord your God. So really, if you think about it, the one attribute 
for me, when I read the Bible, the one attribute that really stands out to me is that of God's holiness. You'll recall that God's initial revelation to Moses was of his holiness at the burning bush experience where God says, don't come any closer. Moses, take off your sandals, your shoes, for the ground that you are standing on is holy ground. It's holy because God made it holy. God was there. Moses, as God's servant, had to constantly remember that the God whom he served was a holy God. Even Psalm 93, verse 5 says, Your statutes stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days, O Lord. Holiness adorns his house. Old Testament. Now, New Testament, uh, God's holiness is also a priority for New Testament followers of Jesus Christ. Now, to be holy is to be close to God, to be like him, to seek his presence, righteousness, and fellowship with all of our hearts. It's what I started preaching this year, beginning of January. We are to draw near to God, so, so he'll draw near to us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort. That's on you and me. We put out effort. We do what we can do. To do what? To live in peace with all men. But then it says this. And to be holy. Make every effort to be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we can see how important obedience is. We can see how important holiness is. Hebrews 12, 14. 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And then Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, for he chose us in him to be holy and, and to be blameless in his sight. Now in the Bible, the word holiness and the word sanctification are interchangeable. In other words, the basic idea, once again, of holiness, of sanctification, is that of separation or setting apart. The root words translated holy in holiness is Q-A-D-A-S. The verb means to be consecrated, to be dedicated, to be holy. Anything that is holy is set apart. Set apart from sin, set apart from this world, and set apart unto God. Devoted, dedicated unto God. It is also the idea that it's removed from the realm of the common and moved to the sphere of the sacred. Always remember, God is a holy God. Holiness unto the Lord. Now, at the time a person receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when they repent of their sin, that simply means they've been separated from their past life of sin. Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins when we repent of our sins, and, and, and now our lives are to be dedicated unto God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So Jesus Christ is our holiness. 1 Corinthians 6.11 
and that is what some of you were, past tense. But you were washed, you were, here's the word, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So from Scripture, we find that the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, 1 Peter 1, 2, through the sanctifying work, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And then we have 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. And so the Bible is very clear in teaching that Christians should continue living a life separated from sin and dedicated to God because, as the Apostle Paul tells us, this is God's will for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, he says, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, or pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So once again, we are called to be holy, being set apart, being dedicated, being devoted unto God. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, let us purify ourselves, one translation says, from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, here it is, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. We call this progressive sanctification. Now, John Flavel, who was a Puritan writer, said this, and I quote, Once a heart has been made pure by the Lord, the greatest task of every believer is to keep his heart pure. Hartman's paraphrase, once God's done a work in your heart, make sure you don't mess it up and allow God to keep on doing his work in your heart. Uh, we have Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. A quote from Vance Havner who once said, if you want to be popular, preach happiness. If you want to be unpopular, preach holiness. The scriptures speak of progressive sanctification in a variety of ways such as growing in grace, growing and being gradually transformed spiritually to the image of Jesus Christ. You know, make every effort to be found spotless, 2 Peter 3.14 or 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are, here it is, are being transformed into his likeness. Hopefully the longer you and I are serving God, the more like Jesus we're going to become. The more Christ-like we're going to become in our actions, in our attitudes, etc. The purpose of the sanctification process is that believers might become more and more like Jesus Christ. Even though Christians may and will not attain absolute perfection in this life. All right, I, I know some like, well, once you get saved, you're perfect. Well, no, you're not. 
all right? You're, you're with the rest of us. You're relying upon His grace, and He's perfecting you, but we have a long ways to go, all right? Even though Christians may not attain absolute perfection in this life, they are expected to make every effort to live a holy life, for without holiness, as the Word says, no one is going to see God. Now, some churches teach that sanctification is a one-time experience that takes place after a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, at which time they say that person is made perfect. In the Assemblies of God, we are an Assemblies of God church, we teach that sanctification takes place at the moment of salvation and then continues on, progresses as the believer continues to submit to the control of the Holy Spirit. As I preached on the last Sunday in 2023, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a growth process. Hopefully, you're still growing. You're still maturing. God's doing a work in your life. Now, holiness means spiritually pure and set apart for divine purposes as God calls us to live our lives separated from sin. Romans 6, 19 says, Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to, to ever-increasing wickedness, so now, present tense, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Are we beginning to see how important this topic is? See, a true Christian, a true follower of Jesus Christ desires to be free from sin, not to sin freely. In both the Old and New Testaments, the words for holy and holiness carry the basic idea of separation from that which defiles or is unclean. Now we are admonished in Scripture that as a group, as Christians, as the church, but also as individuals, as individual followers of Jesus Christ, we are the body of Christ, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? And then 1 Corinthians 6.15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Paul asks, never is what he says. And then 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So once again, we are called to be separate, separate from this world and separated unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Once again, uh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, here's the problem as I see it as a pastor in the church. We, have, we in the church really have become too satisfied receiving a touch from God where in reality, God doesn't want just to touch our lives. God wants to transform our lives. He wants to radically transform your life and my life. Now, I confess this morning to you to setting the bar 
pretty high for Christians, especially when it comes to holiness. In the words, uh, I wrote this out this morning, if I can find it, in the words of Bob Seeger, call me a relic, call me what you will, say I'm old-fashioned, say I'm over the hill. Today's preaching ain't got the same soul. I like that old-time Bible scroll. But seriously, call me a right-wing fundamentalist. Call me a throwback to the days of the tent evangelist. Call me a simpleton. Call me a minimalist. Call me old school. But if you do, be sure to go ahead and also call me a watchman on the wall because the welfare of my family and the welfare of God's church is at stake. And friends, I refuse to stand before God one day and give an account for every sermon I'm preaching, for every lesson I've ever taught. I refuse to water down the word of God just to make people comfortable. Amen. I refuse not to share with you the whole counsel of God's word. Therefore, I submit to you, I am not old school. I am Bible school. Holiness has been, still is, and will always be God's standard for his people. That's the message that needs to come from every pulpit in America, every church in America. It is holiness unto the Lord. When you and I, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, when we became a Christian, we signed the bottom line saying, God, my life belongs to you. It no longer belongs to me. And God's calling us to holiness. Holiness is being holy His. Holiness is being holy His. I wholly belong to Him. Holiness is God in me and I in Him. The way I look at it is this. It's not what I, what, what, I, what I can do. It's not what I can get away with and still be a Christian. It's about becoming more and more like him. And God has a long ways to go in my life yet before that is attained. But there, I'm, I'm like you. I am a work in progress. And if anything, if anything in my life prevents me from drawing closer to him, then it's, it's a problem for me. And I got to deal with that. Now, even when I was a children's pastor years ago, we had a policy for our children's ministry volunteers that stated, and I quote, I will strive to live a holy life and avoid habits that diminish my personal testimony or hinder my ability to lead. I understand that my position on the leadership pyramid leaves me with less options than others. In other words, as Christians, we are called to a higher standard. It is his standard, not mine. His standard is one of holiness. As Dr. John Maxwell so eloquently puts it, the heart of leadership is putting others ahead of yourself. It is doing what's best for the team. For that reason, leaders have to give up their rights. The higher you go in leadership, the more it's going to cost you and, and, and the more you'll have to give up. To go up. Andrew Murray approached the topic of holiness, the holiness of God as a matter of the heart. Andrew Murray wrote this, and I quote, holiness is what there is of God in us. Holiness is the losing of self and being clothed with the spirit and the likeness of Jesus. 
Church, the more holy a person is, the more humble they are, the more self-renouncing they are, the more sensitive to every sin that person becomes, and the more closely then he clings to Christ. You see, bottom line is that God wants your heart. God wants all of you. He doesn't want to be number one on your list. He wants to be your list. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4, it is God's will, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. I remember a quote from Dr. Michael Brown two weeks ago. He said this, You cannot be neutral when it comes to today's moral and cultural issues. If you do not consciously resist the tide of the world, you will quickly capitulate. We are in a battle. You see, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is real, there will be holiness unto the Lord. Now I know that people get mad today at this kind of preaching because they want to excuse themselves from going further in God. People today enjoy their sin. They don't want to change. They don't want to be free from the bondages and life-controlling addictions. But I'm here to tell you, if you want to be free from those things, you can be free. I also have said before from this pulpit, that the reason many people aren't delivered in certain areas is because they still like their sin. The Bible says in James 1.14, each one is tempted. When? By his own evil desire. Not the devil. By his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. So we are responsible with the choices that we make. It really comes down to this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, it's one thing to say you love him, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you fear him. Years ago, and some of you will know this story, you remember when Jim Baker of the PTL club, Jim Baker went to prison. And he was in prison in Rochester, Minnesota. And John Bevere went to go visit him while he was in prison. It's in Jim Baker's book, I Was Wrong, that I read. Big, thick book. And, and John Bevere went to go see Jim Baker. And John Bevere said, Jim, and I'm paraphrasing, but said, Jim, he said, when did you lose your love for Jesus? And this is what Jim Baker said. He says, oh, John, I, I've never lost my love for Jesus, but I lost my fear but I lost my fear of Jesus. No fear of God. You see, we are to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of God. The Bible says the fear of God will keep us from sinning. You see, the Bible says that God wants to use you for special purposes, but we must be clean. And honestly, God will use small vessels. God will use plain vessels. God will even use broken vessels. But God doesn't use dirty vessels. If you want God's blessing on your life, if you want the blessings of God to overtake you, then get clean and stay clean. If there's anything holding you back, 
if it's any personal sin, then this morning you need to admit it, quit it, forget it, and move on. It's called repentance because power comes from purity. See, God's blessings are great, but in order to see God move in power, we must also be cleansed. Now, I know we talk a lot about the fruit of the Spirit, but what about the fruit unto holiness? What about fruit worthy of repentance? Romans 6.22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. See, those who experience the presence of God, those who experience the King of glory, will make it to heaven because of clean hands and a pure heart. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may ascend His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he'll receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Once again, God's living in a holy place. God is a holy God. And God calls us to holiness, to, to purity, to be cleansed. And then the blessings follow. In second, or 1 Timothy 2.8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He says, if we, want to, if we want to flourish spiritually, we got to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Friends, you can forget about ascending the hill of the Lord into his holy place when you're living a lie. When you're living a lie. We cannot enter the holy place of God without being transformed. In Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire, unauthorized fire, before the Lord. They profaned the holy place, and God struck them dead. And God says, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. Later, God said to Aaron, You must distinguish between the common and the holy. God is a consuming fire, and you don't get to negotiate the flame. If you want to ascend the hill of the Lord, you better be clean. Without holiness, no one will see God. Ephesians 5, 25-27, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What was the purpose? To make her holy cleansing her, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, his bride will be without spot or wrinkle, a bride who has made herself ready. Over the years, I've officiated at a number of weddings. It was one year ago in two weeks that Andrew and Lexi got married. And I've seen all kinds of brides, all beautiful brides, all adorned in their, in their wedding gown and, and, and all ready and everything else. But I've seen, I've seen tall brides, I've seen short brides, I've seen skinny brides, 
brides. I've seen not-so-skinny brides, but they're all beautiful. But here's the bottom line. Every bride that was going to get married was a beautiful bride because her, the bride made herself ready. As it says in Revelation, we are the bride of Christ. We need to make ourselves ready. We need to have on pure and holy garments, the garments that he provides us, his holiness, his righteousness, sanctification. It's all unto him. Friends, I'm simply saying, we as the bride of Christ have to prepare ourselves. Draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. See, here's the deal. The blood of Jesus Christ will never cover what we don't uncover. If you don't admit it, he won't remit it. Church, honestly, until we learn to hate sin as God hates sin, we're never going to be free from it. Holiness is not only loving and obeying God, it's hating sin. Remember Isaiah, when he got his vision, he got a vision of the holiness of God. The, the seraphim were crying out, holy, holy, holy. And what did this prophet of God say? Woe is me, for I am undone. Lord, take the coal, touch my lips, you know. Here, here I stand. Isaiah Isaiah saw the holiness of God. The Bible asks in 2 Corinthians 6.14, what fellowship, what fellowship does light have with darkness? It doesn't. You see, there's too much mixture with the world. And, and really, truth be told, it's not enough for us today to get out of Egypt. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to get Egypt out of us, to get the world out of us. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not profitable or expedient. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. George Barnes says, research consistently shows, check this out, that most born-again Christians are indistinguishable from non-Christians in their attitudes and behavior. It should not be that way. It should not be that way. There ought to be a distinction. What did Moses say? For, for what else will, will distinguish us from the people in the world except the presence of God? Once again, there ought to be a difference in the way we live our lives, in the way we handle ourselves in this world, in this world that we don't belong, we're just passing through. It's all about perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Now, I know that no one gets up in the morning and prepares their cup of coffee, and puts a drop of poison in it, stirs it, and drinks it. And yet many Christians allow poison into their hearts, their minds, and spirits every day through their eye gate and ear gate by, by means of what they watch and what they listen to. Without a doubt, this small quota of daily sin is destroying them. Now, before service, I passed out 10 bottles of water. For those of you that I passed those bottles of water out, please take your bottles of water out at this time. I told them not to open it until you heard from me in the sermon, so raise your hands with your bottle of water if you're one of the 10 recipients of the water. Look around. There should be 10 of you, 10 bottles of water. 
All right, here's my instructions. If you received a bottle of water, I want you to look at that bottle and read the labels carefully at this time. Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and read the labels. Ooh. <laughs> After, now here's the question to the 10 of you. After reading the labels, would you drink that bottle of water, yes or no? No. Why not? Has raw sewage in it. There's a label I put on the bottle that says 99% pure mineral, mineral water, 1% raw sewage. No one would consider buying a bottle of water with 1%, as small as it is, of raw sewage in it. And no one would consider drinking a bottle of water that reads 99% pure drinking water or pure mineral drinking water, 1% raw sewage. Here's the message this morning. When it comes to holiness, 99% is not enough. That 1% of sin, sewage, filth, poison, whatever, that 1% destroys the whole bunch. Church, don't give the devil a foothold. When he knocks on the door, don't even answer the door and stick your foot in it. I mean, don't do it. And yet many Christians today have allowed spiritual sewage water to seep in their lives and people wonder why have I lost the strength of God where's the anointing of the Holy Spirit why am I doing this or why aren't things working out there and where is God's blessing and where is God's anointing I'm here to tell you if there's one percent sin in your heart it will eventually destroy your whole life what am I saying get the sin out Deal with the 1% or 2% or whatever because that 1% can ruin the whole batch. That's why God told them in Exodus 34, be careful not to make a treaty with those who are living in the land, lest, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go whoring after their gods. What does the New Testament say? A little leaven ruins the whole, the whole batch of dough. Let me give you quickly three motives for holiness. Three motives. Number one, the highest motive is to please God. To please God. To bring Him pleasure. We have 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Finally, brothers, we instruct you to how to live in order to please God. In fact, as you are living. And then two verses later, Paul says, it is God's will. In context, it is God's will that you should be sanctified or holy. And so if you want to please God, if you want to live your life to please the Lord, allow God's work of sanctification in your heart. Now, we don't want to be holy just to try to impress people with how righteous or sanctified we are. You've heard of the phrase, holier than thou. Trust me, none of us are. <laughs> yeah, but but it's, it's a goal to be holy because he is holy. Now, the hypocrites, 
would do this in the New Testament. They would, they would, you know, through their almsgiving, through their prayers, through their fasting, they did these things in order to be seen by men. And what did Jesus say? Hey, they've received their reward in full. You know, we want to be holy because God commands us to be holy. I want to live my life to please Him, all right? Just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. A second motive for holiness is to live lives worthy of our calling. Lives that, re- that reflect who God is. Lives that are worthy of the trust that God's put in us. As, as uh, Leonard Raven used to say, are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? You know, are you living your life for His pleasure, for His glory? Uh, Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And God has given us a high calling. And we should seek to adorn the gospel by living right, by living the way God wants us to live. We were talking about this last Wednesday night in our Bible study a little bit. And I thought, I, I mentioned, think of the harm that's been done to the cause of Christ because of the moral failure of Christians and of ministers over the years. A prayer that I've often prayed is, God, keep my life pure before you so that I don't bring disgrace to the gospel. God, help me, help me to live my life as unto holiness unto you. See, God wants us to be genuinely holy in our thought lives, our hearts, our desires, our motives. In all that we do, live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Then the third purpose uh, of holiness, the third motive, is to be fit for service to be fit for service. Here Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9 about the athletic events sponsored biennially by the city of Corinth known as the Isthmian Games. And he emphasized that those who are engaged in the games discipline themselves so they may run and win the race. And then he tells us to run in such a way as to get the prize. And regarding himself, he said this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Or as it says in the King James Bible, lest I myself should be a castaway. Now, in the Assemblies of God Church, we, have, we put a lot of emphasis on, on power for service. We talked about the Holy Spirit empowering us this morning in Sunday school, and that is an important aspect of that. But ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends, the uttermost parts of, of the world. That's Acts chapter 1-8. Yes, we need power, but not only do we need power to be His witness, We need power for living the life he's called us to live. Purity, holiness unto God. And so three motives for holiness, to please God, to live lives worthy of our calling to be fit for service. Matter of fact, the idea of of holiness is so central to biblical teaching that it is said of God, holy is his name. The Lord's Prayer you know, we're taught to pray, you know, thy kingdom come, or our Father who art in heaven. What does it say? Hallowed, holy is your name. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are taught to pray that prayer, and there's kind of a sequence in that prayer. See, God's kingdom will never come where God's name is not hallowed, revered, holy. In other words, his will is not done on earth as it is in heaven if his name is desecrated here. 
But once you and I understand the person, the character of God, the attributes of God, then all of a sudden our lives begin to change. And so I asked this morning, do you really understand his holiness? Do you really understand his holiness? And how are you living in light of that revelation? I love this quote, and I got it from one of you from Facebook a few weeks ago, from Vadi Bakum. And he says, and I quote, I'm astonished by the fact that everybody wants to go to heaven, but a large percentage of them don't want Jesus. There are people who want nothing to do with Jesus and nothing to do with the church, but they want to go to heaven when they die. It makes no sense whatsoever. Because ultimately, heaven is about a place where we dwell with our God, with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you don't love God's place and God's people now, what makes you think that not only are you going to inherit a place with God and with God's people forever, but what makes you think you belong there? Very enlightening. See, holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is about a person. His name is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Christ Jesus who has become for us holiness. And it's in relationship with Jesus that we draw near. That we ask that he transform us into his image. Because we are so broken and helpless without him that I desire to have a clear conscience before God, that I allow the Holy Spirit to convict me of little things like that 1% of sewage water in a bottle of water. 1%, hey, no big deal. I ain't drinking it. See, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make your spirit holy, set apart, devoted, dedicated unto him. He is, I remind us, He is the Holy Spirit, not the happy spirit. 91 times in the New Testament, the Spirit is called holy. He is the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 53, verse, or 35, verse 8, and a highway will be there. It'll be called the, the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way in the way of holiness. Wicked fools will not go on or not go about on it. See, only the pure in heart will see God. I want to wrap this up by going back to 2 Corinthians 7.1 where it says, Having therefore these promises, dirty beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In other words, once you and I have been made holy because of Christ, because of his shed blood, once we have been made holy because of what Christ has done for us, now we are exhorted to live it out, to live like it. We have a responsibility. As I said, holiness is not about rules and do's and don'ts. It really comes down to this. It's about your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
Friends, I believe today that the church of Jesus Christ needs a fresh revelation of the holiness of God. The holiness of God, the majesty of Christ. Where we say, no Lord, I want this life of mine to glorify you. So that when I stand in your awesome presence, as John says, I will not be ashamed at your appearing. Lord, help me to live right, righteously, so that my life will truly adorn the gospel. I remind us this morning, church, Christians are called to live a life of total surrender and total separation from the world. As I've said over and over this morning, God still calls us to holiness. It's his standard in the Old Testament. It's his standard in the New Testament. And so ask yourself this morning, am I perfecting holiness in the fear of God? Ask yourself right where you're sitting. Am I perfecting holiness in the fear of God? Am I set apart for holy service unto the Lord? Is there in my life an ongoing purification from moral evil and a conforming to the image of Christ? Am I living my life to please him? Am I putting to death the misdeeds of the body? See, we are to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Let's all stand to our feet.